Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic. The Athletic. MM stands for Mick McCarthy, not Merlin Magician. MS will hit it all! That is special! It's magic at Molyneux! Dreaming is for free. Hello and welcome to the Molyneux View podcast with me, Jackie Oatley, and The Athletics Wolverhampton Wanderers correspondent, fresh from his post-match mad dash to Stafford, Tim Spears. Hello, Tim. Just another normal night. How are you doing, Jackie Oatley? Standard stuff, Bab. It's standard stuff. Wolverhampton Wanderers have won a Premier League football match. Yes, they really have. Honestly, do not adjust your sets. They have won a league game of football. 2-1 at home to Arsenal with a little help from a couple of red cards and a 30-yard howitzer from João Matinho. He's always doing that, eh? And Wolves' season starts right here. I mean, I did say that last week after the clean sheet at Chelsea, but no, no, it actually starts tonight. Read all about it with Tim for just three ninety nine a month for the first six months. That's just a pound a week. Sign up by going to theathletic.co.uk forward slash wolves pod and sound really knowledgeable with all your mates because Tim knows what's going on. Don't you, Tim? What is going on, Tim? I've no idea I don't, after I don't, that. I don't know. <laughs> don't ask me. I'd explain that. Ridiculous night of football. Absolutely, absolutely insane. I, I don't know how you analyse it. I don't know if it's worth analysing. It was just absolutely bonkers. Um, but yeah, you're right. This has got to be it now. This has got to be the springboard for the rest of the season. You, you've, you've got to lo- use your luck when it's handed to you, and it was certainly handed to them tonight. First league win in nine, second league win in 12 since November, which is when Wolves won at Arsenal with the Raul Jimenez business, and we know what has happened since then. So, Tim, let's just go back to when we saw the lineup because there was some conjecture as to whether it's going to be a back five or four. I have to admit, I thought. It looked like a five with Triori playing at right wing back. And then Nuno said, no, we're actually playing a four with Kilman at left back. I have to admit, I was pretty concerned. I mean, Wolves have four options at left back injured. So it's not as if it was Nuno's favoured choice. Um, were you concerned when you heard it was probably going to be a back four? Uh, I was convinced it was a back three. I was convinced mm. Nuno was lying on TV yeah, and that it was going to be a back three. <laughs> and then the then the then um, they finished their pre-match huddle and lined up uh, with four at the back and Kilman at left back against Saka. And yeah, I, I did worry. And those those um, worries were confirmed 30 was it 35 seconds into the game when Arsenal should have scored when when the when the standing left back was comfortably beaten not for the not for the last time and yeah Nuna got it wrong on that front that's why they've got they've got away with it tonight they've got away with it um why he didn't why he didn't play Samedo at left back and, and Hoover at right back I'm not sure um I thought you know Hoover had looked Hoover had looked good recently looked pretty solid I thought Samedo had looked okay on the left as well at Palace and in the second half against Chelsea so why poor Maximilian Kilman who used to play futsal you might have heard was playing at left back I don't know and it was uh, such an easy route to goal for Arsenal. It was 
painfully easy. Stick the ball over Kilman's head and let Saka run through. And they should have been 4-0 up after half an hour. And that's that's why it's not like... Um, it doesn't feel it doesn't feel like a turning point. I really hope it is, but it doesn't feel like Wolves have finally cracked that winning formula tonight because everything they kind of did to start the game with went wrong. And like I said, they should have been four 0 down. Probably probably the worst defending we've seen this season. The individual prize of that, Gustav Semedo, for his. I mean, just what words can you use? Mm. I mean, it was schoolboy. It was amateur. Just horrendous defending three times in one sort of movement. He fails to deal with the ball. I thought he was going to give away a penalty, but he didn't. And yeah, Wolves were lucky. They had the marginal offside call as well. Uh, a couple of slack finishes. And they should have been dead and buried after 30. And it's a, it's a minor miracle that they weren't. And then the two, well, the red card has just completely changed the whole face of the game. And then uh, they've gone on to earn it in the second half, but my God, they um, they got away with it because I thought I was really surprised, Jackie, that Nuno went to a back four. Really surprised. Wolves do look better in attack, but they just look so suspect defensively. I do not trust them with a back four against anybody, to be honest. If they'd had a fit Marcel, I could understand it because you've got somebody a bit more solid who's clearly used to playing there. And... It would have felt okay, and you could see what they're trying to do. They're trying to get the confidence back by being positive and using the extra man. It all made sense from that point of view. But because Kilman was the only option, that's why I didn't think for a second when I heard the team news that he was going to go for a back four. But anyway, he did, and I don't know whether you saw my tweet, but I mean, I, I very, very, very confidently did I see your tweet. I was sent it by a few people. Oh they were like, they were, <laughs> they were like, you're going to make it a public Zoom for the podcast tonight, or what? I should point out that I wasn't trying to be saucy. You know, that's not my style. I'm really quite conservative. (laughs) Can you just explain what you tweeted first for people who didn't see it? Yes. So I tweeted something along the lines of, if Wolves keep a clean sheet tonight, I'll be recording the podcast naked tonight. I mean, but I, I did it not to be saucy because I knew there wasn't a cat in hell's chance Wolves were keeping a clean sheet. So it's not like I thought... Oh, oh, this will be a bit funny. and But it wasn't. I did it very matter-of-fact. I was trying to think of the most outrageous thing I could think of because I knew for a fact they weren't keeping a clean sheet. And then I got a few tweets going, oh, blow me clean sheet. I was like, what are they talking about? This isn't going to happen. And literally, as I looked up, Wolves conceded. So Is that when it was then? It was roughly, what, the, the half, it about, what was it, 20 minutes, half an hour? It was about 90 hour. seconds after I tweeted that Wolves conceded because they were conceding so many chances. I mean, they really were. And the only people that you know, thought I was I was being risky with my tweet and were laughing about it. We're watching other games of football. We're watching the Albion lose at Sheffield United. <laughs> yeah. Did I mention the Albion lost at Sheffield United? Yeah. And um, so that's why it wasn't bold. That's my point. It wasn't bold. It was just a matter of fact thing. They were getting torn apart, ripped to shreds. And I thought, what does Nuno do? He must have an awful sinking feeling on the touchline thinking, bloody hell, we've only played a handful of minutes here and, you know, could easily, you know, obviously there was a goal that was ruled out for a margin offside, correctly so, but blimey, what a let off. And they were conceding all these chances. So I thought, can he make this decision just a few minutes into the game that actually got a boobed here? I'm going to actually stick an extra man on and, you know, put Hoover on and bring Smedo over to the left. But he probably felt he couldn't do that because they'd spent the last two days working on this. So um, anyway, they carried on and and they did get a, a big helping hand. 
um, towards the end of the half, at least not conceding before then. And then lovely bit of play, I think has been overlooked, bearing in mind the, the controversy about the Louise red card. William Jose, who I thought was excellent tonight, we can talk about him in a minute. I thought he really, really played his part and looks a fantastic signing. Chess control for Neves. Really good first-time ball from him to Danielle Pedence. I thought he'd left his pass a little bit too late at the time, but no, he knew what he was doing. Beautifully weighted pass into um, William Jose. And just the faintest of touches from David Luiz's knee on William Jose's studs as his boot was raised and he was about to shoot. Now, huge controversy because people are saying, well, it was accidental, but there's nothing in the law about intent and there can't be anything in the law about intent because otherwise you would have defenders just accidentally getting a little bit too close to a player who's about to shoot, whose boot is raised as they um, are about to kick the ball to score a goal. So there can't be intent and they are playing to the laws of the game, not to the laws of the game that people think they should be. So the referee and the VAR were absolutely spot on. Now, the double jeopardy situation, which people are confused about, he had to be sent off because he didn't make a play for the ball. Had he slid in, just missed the ball, but got William Jose and brought him down, he wouldn't have been sent off because he'd made a concerted effort to play the ball. But the laws of the game, he didn't, so he had to go. Now, it's only if you genuinely think it was a complete accident that you feel sorry for him. But even so, that is not in the laws of the game. The referee can't decide whether it was a little bit unlucky or not. That's just the law, so it was the correct decision. Yeah, I think um, I think you're right to pay credit to Pedence in the first instance. And I've got to say, as much as Wolves were massacred in those first 30 minutes, and it had a real apocalyptic feel about it in the stadium, it really did. As much as the defenders looked like they'd met 20 seconds before kickoff and just just kind of shook hands and, and, and swapped names, um, they did recover okay. And towards the end of the first half, they had their first decent spell of pressure. They were winning corners quite regularly, well, throughout the game, really. And, um, and they do look better going forward with this formation. And it was great play from Pedence in the lead-up to the penalty. And to be honest, if that penalty doesn't happen, I, I don't think they recover in the second half and I don't think they win the game. But I think the red card destabilised Arsenal so much. I was really surprised with how sort of disorganised they looked in the second half and didn't really pose any kind of threat with 10 men. And then obviously with nine, Wolves' task becomes, becomes a lot easier as well. But it was such a pivotal... Sliding doors moment, you know, that penalty, the last kick of the, of the first half. Wolves don't get that penalty, like I said. In, in my opinion, they would have lost tonight and, 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 and we'd be staring down the barrel of a bit of a crisis. But Fortune was favoured towards them. They, they did claw their way back into the game. They've got their equaliser and, and, and they've run with it in the second half. I know though you could say the fortune, the fact that Arsenal were down to 10 men. Um, but the fact is... Recently, for quite a long time now, Wolves have been quite poor in the second half. We've lost that aura of, oh, don't worry, it doesn't matter if they're boring in the first 45 minutes, it doesn't matter if they haven't scored after an hour or 70 minutes, they still will, they'll just wait till stoppage time. That was ages ago, wasn't it, when that was the case? And they have been poor, and we have questioned their character, in that you wonder, have they got the fighting spirit? Are they tough enough? Are they mean enough? Do they want it enough? Is the desire there? So for them to score that goal, that wonder goal by <laughs> João Matinho, who are these people, Tim, who are calling for Matinho not to start and to be hooked at halftime? I mean, who are these people, Tim, I, um, that I do a, things I, like that? 
I had a great conversation at halftime and I will not name the journalist that I was speaking to, but we were having a very frank discussion about Jan Martino and both came to the conclusion that he's not he's not, not nowhere near his best at the moment and Wolves would look a better team with Dendonka in there instead of him. And the goal doesn't change the fact that he hasn't been playing well recently, but it might do something for him because in that last half an hour, it's no coincidence that that's the best we've seen him play in a while. I know Arsenal were uh, soon to be down to nine men, but he controlled the tempo, and we haven't seen him do that for a while. I thought he, I thought he was, I thought he was great in possession. He was running the game, like I said, all be hit against nine men, but still, he hasn't been doing that at all recently. So maybe that can do something for him. I think you saw in his celebration how much it meant to him. A lot of frustration in there. Again, at full time. Arms aloft, a huge roar at full time as the whistle blows from Matinho. He'll have seen the criticism he's been getting. It will have stung him, not something he's been used to in, in his in his glorious career, you've got to say. So he, he, even someone as experienced as him, with all the years of football behind him, it will have been getting to him that he's not playing well. And his powers his powers are waning, and that must be hard to deal with. You know, he's not he's not a player that's ever needed to rely on his pace in his career, but it's more... It's more snapping away at fellow midfielders. It's those little five-yard dashes to close the ball down that he just hasn't quite been doing. You know, the the, the, the mind is there, but, but the body hasn't quite been there. And that must be really frustrating for him as well. So, like I said, a lot of relief with that goal. He visibly uh, improved in that final half an hour. And hopefully he, he can kick on now. And maybe it has just been a bit of a confidence thing with him, as it has been with a few of the, of the players, I'm sure. And, and just to add on that front, the confidence front... I did a, an article on um, Tuesday Tuesday morning, the morning of the game, after Nuno was very open in his pre-Arsenal press conference and basically said, we've lost belief. And, you know, I, I put the question to him very specifically and directly, have, have your team lost belief? And he replied, yes, in an instant. I mean, I, I was I was shocked at that admission. But um, but he says he says the whole team's been lacking belief and lacking consistency, and and, and he also said he's he deserves the criticism that he's been getting. So he's he's been very open and honest about his team's troubles. Those troubles have not gone away as 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 seen by the first thirty minutes. But but they've got to use the confidence and the belief that they will have gained from getting this crazy victory and take that into the weekend. Absolutely, and I agree with you. His press conference was fantastic. It was really good, and it was so good to hear him speaking so openly and honestly and saying what the fans can see because I do believe as both a football fan but somebody who's been in the media for a couple of decades as well that when managers don't speak fairly frankly and don't talk about some of the detail they don't have to go into everything but don't say what fans can see it really counts against them and it just helps to build anger and resentment against them and and I did criticize him after the the West Brom press conference because Wolves fans needed to hear more, needed to hear something of an explanation, needed to hear a bit more leadership. But since then, his press conferences have been a lot more open and forthright. He's been charming. He's, And I know that doesn't count for anything in terms of the results, but I do think it helps the fans to understand a little bit more about what he's trying to do. So I do think those quotes help. And you talked to him about Twitter as well, and he laughed. He went, Tim, Tim, I don't look at Twitter. And you were like, just, just read the ones with the blue ticks. And <laughs> you think he does? I, I think I think he does, yeah. He's still got his account. He, he, he says he, he claims he never uses it anymore, but... But it, you know, when he I asked him about and scrolls, well, well, he he made he made an interesting point that you know fans in the stadium 
they are your judge. You know, they boo, they whistle, they cheer. You get your instant reaction at full time from your fans. Now it's it's on Twitter. So so that's what I put to him. I said, look, you haven't got fans in the stadium anymore. So unfortunately, we have, well, David Wilding, regular podcast listener, would, would disagree. But I think unfortunately, Twitter is the only barometer really at the moment of, of how fans are feeling. And, and there's a lot of angry shout first uh, fans out there at the moment. And some of them are calling for his for his head and have been for a while. A lot of people will disagree with that, but they're probably in the silent majority. Anyway, he said um, he accepts the criticism, but you've got to be careful to judge on Twitter because not everyone's who they say they are and they can hide behind faceless accounts and whatnot. But this is a wider point about, about him talking more freely and explaining himself. You make a really good point there. Some managers... Um, will make poor excuses. Some managers will get angry and start snapping. You know, we saw Frank Lampard snap um, shortly before he was sacked in one of his um, pre-match press conferences. Nuno's done the opposite. He's got better in these past few weeks at explaining what's going wrong. And um, I thought he was great after the Palace game on formations. I put to him that he's really stuck in a quandary, you know, between the two systems. Normally, he gives no credence to formations whatsoever. He just says, look, it doesn't matter what the formations are. It's all about our idea and improving and whatnot. But no, he he was like, no, we are stuck in between the two formations. And he conceded also, Jackie, that, that they've lost their identity recently, which again is quite a frank admission, but he's trying to explain what's going wrong. And he was talking a lot about the first pass between defence and attack, when Wolves recover possession, they normally fly forward like the Red Arrows, you know, and launch these blistering counter-attacks. But he says that first pass, you know, be that from a defender or a midfielder, to set Wolves on the attack has just not been there. He thinks that's a key part of their identity lost. So all of these kind of things, he's been explaining a lot more. I think it makes a big difference because even the fans that have been criticising him, you know, they, they value, obviously, his opinion very much. He's still held in very high regard by so many people, and rightly so. And he speaks a lot of sense. So, yeah, that's um, that's been a really uh, important feature of the past couple of weeks when they've been struggling for him to explain why. Exactly. Whereas before, Wolves fans might not have listened too much about uh, to his press conferences or looked them up or, or read quotes. So there was nothing really in there. And the solutions business was getting ridiculous, finding solutions off to, off to the Albion game. But he really has helped since then. I think, I think it will help calm fans down a little bit because I think the key thing is to try and put ourselves in Nuno's shoes because now it's quite interesting, isn't it? We're looking and thinking, well, what? What would we actually do if we had four first choice left backs out? You know, what would we do? And there isn't an easy option. There is some idea at left back and, and Hoover at right wing back. Um, instead, he tr- he tried the Kilman situation. He wanted to be positive and fair play to him for that. And I think it didn't work initially. And we were all, oh, my goodness, what's this going to be? Um, but they've come back. They've shown character and just to go back on the Matinho points, I was taking the mickey out myself, not anybody else, by the way, about the Matinho thing, because... I didn't think he'd been offering enough, anywhere near enough recently. And I felt maybe Wolves needed energy in midfield with the likes of, of Otto Sawi, perhaps. To see that energy, that power. And he's a classy player as well, of course. Intelligent player. And um, and also the fact that Matinho was on a yellow card. So that's why I thought perhaps he'd get substituted at half-time. But, but fair play to him. He did what we've been criticising him for not doing, which was even having a shot at goal. He barely ever does that. And it's corners have been frustrating and what have you so huge credit to Joao Moutinho and as you mentioned him his celebration I absolutely adored that because it showed how much he cared and and I'm not suggesting the players haven't been caring but they have looked a bit 
flat and they've lacked the zip and they've lacked a bit of the togetherness and the drive that's really built this wolf side into something special and and his celebration pointing with two fingers to the camera and then you know the celebration at full time which bt showed back on a replay as well it really shows what a winner he is how driven he is but we do need to see more of that side of Joao Martinho. Yeah, I think I think the character and the determination has been there. They've just they've just been hiding it quite well, and I think they've been feeling a bit sorry. <laughs> I, I thought the last twenty minutes against Palace, I thought they just felt sorry for themselves, and they were like, you know, we've played all right in the first half here. We've come to grind out a one nil win. I thought they were on their way to doing that at half time. I really did. And then they concede another really soft goal at Selhurst Park and it completely knocked the stuffing out of them. And the last 20 minutes at Selhurst Park were, were concerning for me. A Traore aside, there was no urgency, um, a real lack of tempo. Matinho played a five-yard pass straight out of play, you know, when they're trying to chase the game. And that was really concerning and that's led to Nuno kind of conceding that, that the belief has been lost. So how do you get that belief back? You win football matches and... Yes, in in that way, in that respect, it's irrelevant how they how they did it tonight. Um, and like I said, that they've got to use that belief as a turning point because they will they will have had their confidence boosted by that. And there are positives to cling on to. You know, like I said, like we said, Messina was good. They kept possession really well uh, at the end. I know it's against nine men, but they did it well. They had sixty three percent possession in the second half. They did sort of recover their composure. I thought Kilman got better as the game went on, albeit from a very very low starting point. Um, I thought Bolly was great. I thought Traore and Neto were really good, constantly beating their men, getting to the byline getting balls in the box for William Jose and that that will be a, a winning formula for me in the weeks to come. Vitinha was great as well, nice little cameo from him. So like I said, as a, as a team, the winning formula is still a mystery to me and the formation for Leicester will be very interesting. But um, a win's a win, a win's a win. Going back to the character... What about Ruben Neves, by the way? Fabulous penalty for starters. He was made to wait for ages, wasn't he? Bearing in mind the VAR. He scored wonderful penalty, huge amount of confidence, top corner, just absolute quality. Um, and then the sucking of the thumb, we see a lot from a player that's had a baby. But not only has this bloke had another baby, but his wife had their third baby in Portugal on Saturday. Now, I wasn't aware till Ruben did the post-match interview with Wolves TV that he hadn't been at the birth, that his wife wasn't in England. She'd actually travelled back to Portugal because she'd had problems with their first birth a couple of babies ago and so wanted to have that same doctor again, which is fair enough. So she was there. He watched the birth on his phone coming back from Crystal Palace where he hadn't come off the bench, which is probably why he hadn't come off the bench, by the way, and why he didn't play, in case people were wondering. And he still hasn't seen his wife and baby because he said that had he have travelled to Portugal, which no doubt I would imagine Nuno would absolutely have have been in favour of had he wanted to go, that he would have had to stay and miss a few games, bearing in mind the quarantining situation. And he said, this is my job, so I'm here to do my job. It's quite extraordinary, don't you think? Yeah, it shows shows the character of the man. I'm I'm not surprised at all, Jackie. To be honest, you know, from bits and bobs that I hear about him, he's an extremely impressive young man, and he is still a young man. And I I think we've seen him grow this season actually into more into more of a leader. And that's one accusation you can level at Wolves, which is fair that they don't have enough leaders in that team for me. But um, he's really grown this season. He's he's vice captain to to Connor Cody. We know he's been a captain, you, you know, a younger age in his career. And I can see him continuing to blossom over sort of the next 12, 24 
months. Hopefully that's with Wolves because um, he's, he's becoming a fine all-round central midfielder. And he's still only 23. Absolutely. I mean, we expect a lot from him. Uh, his wife clearly does as well. Um, but, but he's um, he's still only 23 till next month and um, he is a fabulous footballer and I still think yeah, it's brilliant that he scored a penalty tonight and Moutinho's strike was fabulous but I do think midfield has been a problem this season there hasn't been enough dynamism in there and maybe that's something that they look at for the summer and I think particularly with the dilemma of the back five and the back four Midfield's absolutely key. If they are playing a back five and they're desperate to keep a clean sheet like they did at Chelsea, then you're so reliant on the mobility of your midfield and dynamism in there to be able to link with the attack and the pace that you've got with the likes of Traore, Pedence and Neto, of course. Um, what about Willian Jose? I thought he was really exciting in terms of what he offered. Maybe not the standout character, but when you analyse what he did, his strength, his control, he clearly has a great deal of quality. I was really impressed with him at Palace and I thought he took it on a level tonight against Arsenal and he's 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 just got what Wolves have been crying out for. You know, he's he's strong, he's unselfish, he's got a good work ethic, he can he can work the ball with his back to goal, he can link play. He's got a great touch as well, really good technique. There was one point in the first half he he took a pass on halfway with his back to goal on his chest and then volleyed it out to Pedro Neto right into the path I think it was Pedro Neto, right into the path of him. And he did quite a few things like that. And he almost scored a great goal when he left Rob Holding on his backside uh, with a nice little shimmy and then struck a ferocious shot. I think we've seen a couple of examples in, in his last two appearances of the power that he's got. And this mm. is something we, we spoke about when he signed. You know, he's got a real instinctive shot, a powerful right-footed shot on him. I think he'll score goals, but more importantly than that, at this moment in time, I think he's going to unlock doors for Wolves to, to, to barge their way through via Pedro Neto, Dama Traore and Daniel Pedence. So Nuno's very positive about him and, and what he can do for Wolves in the coming months. And I think, considering we know that Nuno likes to blood his players gradually, and Dendonka took six months to work his way into the team, Traore took about six six months, maybe a little bit longer, to really cement his place. And Daniel Pedence was, was, took a while. Pedro Neto took a while to adapt, albeit he was very young. He's sort of hit the ground running here and um, and I've been very impressed with the way he's adapted to the Premier League already. So that bodes very well for the for the coming months. And if he carries on like this, then they'll have to sign him in the summer because um, um, he looks like a decent fit for the Premier League to me. Oh, he really does. And he offers something similar to that, which Raul Jimenez offers, which, which helps if you've got somebody like Raul out or one of them's injured, then you're not having to change the entire way that you play. You've just got somebody who can Absolutely. slot in and... I, I yes. thought he was absolutely, as you said, what Wolves have been crying out for. We all thought there wasn't a similar type of player around, but but absolutely fair play to them. And and even if he doesn't score, it, it doesn't really matter because he offers so much in terms of the focal point. You know, now we've got Adama Traore going to the corner flag and floating in those crosses. Before I was thinking, oh, there'll be nobody there, or there'll be a five foot five little fella in there having a crack, but won't win it. Whereas now you're thinking, right, where's William Jose? Because this guy's got power, he's got movement, ability. Big, big fan of what I've seen already. What's been happening in the last few weeks is the ball's gone up to halfway and it's just come straight back. And Wolsey's best way of getting upfield has been Traore sort of dashing upfield 40 yards and taking men on from deep or, or Neto doing the same. So now they've got a, a real solid avenue to get up the field. And, um, you know, We've spoken a lot about Fabio Silva in, in the past few weeks. It's clear that he's not kind of ready to take on that mantle just yet. But um, 
William Jose looks ready-made, really, and um, and uh, quite similar to Jimenez in the way that he plays, which Wolves are very used to. And once he starts getting on their wavelength in the box, I can definitely see him chipping in with a few goals. That's the only criticism I'd sort of have of him in his appearances against Palace and Arsenal, in that his link-up play has been great, but he hasn't he hasn't quite been on their wavelength when it's come to crosses into the box. Now that's hopefully that's something that will come when he gets used to his to his teammates. If he does that, then he'll score goals. Yeah, he's barely been in the country a week, has he? I mean, give the bloke yeah. a chance. But yeah, exactly. And, and also, I was looking at Fabio Silva when he came on late in the match. I was thinking, he might not think it at the time, but actually I think it's really helped him. I think it's done him a big favour to have that weight lifted off his shoulders, that when he comes on now, you would hope that he can try to play his part. But it's not a case of seeing his name on the team sheet and, and maybe Wolves fans sort of groaning, thinking, it's not enough. You know, he's a really good lad working his backside off. Bags the potential, no problem there. But Wolves, you know, without a win in so many matches until tonight as we speak, uh, you just feel it was adding to the pressure to him, which he really doesn't need at the age of 18 and a half. Yeah, you're absolutely right. The, the focus has been taken away from him and that, that that can only be a good thing for him at that age because I felt like his confidence w- was taking a real knock um, and he's sort of been flogged week after week. So no, definitely a good thing. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com courtside to learn more. This episode is supported by FX's Welcome to Wrexham. Celebrity owners Rob McElhenney and Ryan Reynolds' small-town Welsh football club has finally been promoted into League Two after 15 seasons in the National League. Dedicated staff and supporters celebrate the team's return to glory while bracing for the newfound challenges that come with being in a higher league. Will Wrexham AFC stand up to the challenge and rise again into League One? FX is welcome to Wrexham. All new Thursdays on FX. Stream on Hulu. I mean, before we come on to talk about Leicester at home on Sunday, I mean, Chelsea was, <laughs> bored the pants off the entire nation, didn't it? But it was exactly what Wolves needed at the time was to get back to basics and to to fight for each other. And I loved seeing the grit and the character and the determination. I thought this is what Wolves have been lacking and they're trying to work their way back into confidence, which has clearly been lacking. And it's just such a shame at Palace on Saturday that they'd undone all that good work or so it seemed by going back to the to the situation whereby they were letting crosses come in too easily and Dendonka turning his back for Eze, fine finish as it was from him, but dear, oh dear, it felt as if they'd let slip that good point and, and gone back to bad habits. Well, Chelsea was all about getting the foot in the door, back to basics, and they could have won that game, they still had the chance of the game through Pedro Neto, but really it was about keeping a clean sheet, finally, and getting that off their back, which they did. Palace was about trying to take it onto the next level and being a bit more adventurous in attack with Williams' help up front. Um, like I said earlier, I thought they were on their way to doing that, but then a, a, a terrible goal to concede. And they, like I said, they had just dropped after that. Um, so it is a real quandary going forward as to which formation to use. It's pretty obvious to me that 3-4-3 equals much better defensively, but much weaker in attack. And 4-2-3-1 equals... <laughs> horrendous defensively <laughs> judging on the first half an hour tonight um, like I said I don't trust them at all against any opposition with four at the back but they look so much better going forward Nuno's instincts will, will be to play it tight and compact and he wants them to be organised he keeps saying it so it's a massive quandary 
if they have a solid left back, it would really help. If they had a solid right back, it would really help. And Semedo has been so much better in recent weeks. It's kind of gone under the radar a little bit, but I think he's been massively improved. But yeah, tonight apart was from probably that first goal. Apart from from Arsenal's goal, there's three really bad errors. That, that, that's, that, that, that's what I mean. He had he had been been much better, but he's he's sort of he's undone that tonight with probably the worst sort of moment of his Wolves career, to be honest, in terms of a glaring error. It was just absolutely horrendous. So hopefully he can. Hopefully that's just a blip because, like I said, he has been much better recently and. Again, Wolves at wing back have been so solid for for two seasons. You know, Doherty and Johnny. You know exactly what you were going to get. They're still adjusting to life without them, and the sooner Johnny gets back, the better. And we do believe it'll be in the coming weeks. He's back in training. Um, he went to see uh, the specialist. I forget which country it is now. Forgive me. It might have been Spain, uh, Spain, where he had his where where he had his surgery. He went back to see the specialist who, who performed his surgery last week. He sort of got the all clear, so he'll step up training now, and I'd expect to see him um, back on the pitch before the end of the month, which is great news. Before the end of the month, I would have thought so. From the way that Nuno's uh, kind of given a timeline, he said um, once he's in once he's in the specialist and got the all clear, it'll be weeks. So you'd say weeks will be will be this month. Okay, so it's uh, Leicester at home and Southampton home in the Cup. So we're looking towards the end of the month, Leeds home, possibly Newcastle away, Aston Villa away on the 6th of March, possibly, might be looking at. But that's a lot of football matches between now and then. But um, but yes, gosh, you can't come back quickly enough. But obviously, I mean, I mean you were saying Marcel, it sounds like Marcel's not back for a while. Pre-Arsenal presser, I think, was, was suggesting, yeah, he's also weeks now as well. I think he was kind of saying two, three weeks was the way that I read it. So um, not sure on eight Nori, uh, not sure on Sace either. Actually, he's had a knock that's been troubling him for a, for a few weeks now. So the sooner they get one of those four back, the better. Because yeah, um, Kilman at left back. I'm not sure we want to see that again. No, exactly. And, and I just wonder whether that sort of makes it less likely that Nuno's going to go for a back four again. I mean. It's Leicester on Sunday and we know what quality Leicester City have. And I mean, I know they lost 3-1 at home to Leeds, you know, last time out. But goodness, they have a lot of quality. And they don't have Jamie Vardy. They played Ayosa Perez up front with Harvey Barnes, James Madison, Mark Albrighton in behind. But um, they play 4-2-3-1. What do you think he'll do? It's tough to call with anything with Wolves at the moment. Um... If you look at the teams they've beaten since Simenez's injury, two wins against Arsenal and one wins against one win against Chelsea in the league, you, you can't really call it, um, and you can't really call it week to week with the team sheet as well. Like I said, I was really surprised he went back to a back four tonight. It's such a quandary. It's such a quandary and a conundrum. Um, I think his inst- I think his instincts will say to to protect the defence. They've got their win. In these crazy circumstances, I think he'll approach the Leicester game with a little bit more caution. He'll be so alarmed at the way that Arsenal just walked through them at times in that in that first half. And um, I can see him going back to Bolly, Cody and Kilman uh, with Hoover coming in uh, and perhaps Samedo on the left just to shore things up a little bit. And then I'd have probably Neves and Dendonka in midfield. And then personally, I'd have Pedence and Neto either side of Willian with, with Troy to come off, off the bench, personally. But like I said, it's so hard to call at the moment from week to week. Yeah, we've not seen a lot of Pedence in terms of what he can do, have we, since his injury? Or, or yeah, I mean, he was a little bit one game on, one game off before his injury. But, you know, when he's on fire, he's absolutely wonderful. It's just a case of trying to get that consistency back, isn't it? 
Um, one thing I wanted to ask you about, Tim, was the goalkeepers. There's been a little bit of talk recently about Rui Patricio and whether he fully deserves his, what has been an automatic starting goal. It's been the default setting that you know, number 11 is your number one. Do you think his place is under threat, given some of the goals he's conceded? They've been a little bit sloppy, do you think? I don't think it's under threat. I don't see Nuno dropping him. However, he he do he does need to raise his levels. He's he's fallen quite a quite a way below last season's high standards. You know, I thought first season with Patricio, um, he led a couple of goals in, but he was mostly iffy on crosses and sort of physicality, and his kicking was terrible. Now his his kicking's fine now. In terms of crosses. He mostly just doesn't come for crosses, which, uh, okay, you know, you might argue that you want him to, but I think he's decisive in the fact that he doesn't come for a cross. Do you know what I mean? So, the, But the players know he's not going to come for a cross. It's not like he's coming halfway and getting stranded. That would be the worst thing. So he's made the decision really not to come for many crosses. But it's his shot stopping that's the issue. He's conceding goals that he shouldn't. And, you know, he's not letting them through his legs, but he, but he's... But he's. Um, I think there's a there's a there's a table going round in terms of. Um, I'm not sure exactly how they quantify this, but in terms of shots he should have saved, I think he's bottom of the league in terms of Premier League keepers for um, for letting too many goals in that he shouldn't have. However, I, I know I don't think his place is under threat. I think he's. I think his Wolves is solid number one keeper, and you know John Ruddy's made mistakes in the past two years, and would we have complete confidence in Ruddy coming in? Um, to not make an error? No, I don't think so. And I think it, with the, with the defence that's quite well, very shaky at, at times at the moment. Um, I'm not sure you need to disrupt that potentially further. So, um, Ruddy's the cup keeper. He's had two good games in the cup. And I think that's probably how he should stay for now. Yeah, and I'll have another game soon, won't he? Against Southampton as well. In terms of transfers, we weren't expecting any anything particularly on deadline day, were we? Nuno said in his presser. It was unlikely, I think, that was on the day. Does that mean they were still working on something or not? No, I think it's just one of those that leaves it open-ended if if they get presented with a deal. You know what it's like. Everyone's phoning everyone on deadline day. Players are offered. Uh, agents are trying to move players around, you know, so that they might have struck gold. But no, they weren't actively looking for anyone to come in. And that's as expected, really, in terms of the way they've approached the window. Um, you know, they ummed and ahed about whether to get a striker in. Catroni came and went again and ultimately they I think they made a really good addition. You've got to say it was a successful window. Um we've spoken about how great William Jose sort of looks so far. So I know fans are frustrated that more players weren't brought in, but from A, from Foson's point of view, you know, they're they're pretty chilled about it. Now there's lots of panic on Twitter, but but Foson or Jeff G very happy with with the squad that they've got, you know, they weren't desperately trying to go out and, and trying to sign players. And Nuno the same. And I think the, probably the main point on this is the players are good enough. I think we'd all agree with that, really, because we've seen it before. You know, we know this squad is good enough. It's, it's a squad that's pretty much finished seventh in the league the last two seasons. So Nuno's way of, of approaching it is to improve the players that they've got and get them back to the levels that they were at rather than go out and spend money, which, of course, chimes with, with Foson's kind of conservative long view approach in the market as well I mean it's a very interesting summer coming up and we'll talk about it at length over the coming months but you know they've got to be looking at bringing in a top class defender and a midfielder Um, there are there are things that that midfield just can't offer and I think that you know they really need an athletic box-to-box presence in there but before they do that they need to sort the defense out because 
they can't go opening up with a more attack-minded central midfielder if if the defence isn't strong enough, you know, to cope with the counter-attacks that will follow. If you um, if you add a more of an attacking presence in in the midfield, so issues to sort out. Matinho, as 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 we've said, is is kind of on the wane. His influence has certainly waned. Dendonka, if he can't find his scoring boots, which it doesn't look like he's going to at the moment, then they they're probably going to be looked to upgrade him as well because. I don't think you can have three central midfielders who don't score. I know Nevis and Matino have both scored tonight, but but that's not been the case at all recently. So then Donka for the positions he gets in has got to be doing more in front of goal. And um yeah, those are the two kind of key areas I think in the summer. Um remains to be seen on budget. There's a lot up in the air about that with the pandemic situation, but lots of big decisions to make. Yeah, and it does look a great decision for them to bring in William Jose. But that wasn't the plan, was it, originally with the Catrone coming back? And then what do you think, or from what you gather, what was the actual turning point? I know they scored twice against West Brom, but it was still alarming to lose 3-2 at home to them, having lost 2-1 at home to Everton. Was it those two games, even though they got three goals from them, that made the powers that be think, hang on a minute, we could be sliding down the table here if we're not careful? Yeah, Albion was the final nail in the coffin and it was an accumulation of, of a terrible run of results, and they they knew they had to act. And like you say, they scored two against West Brom, but they also had twenty three shots and missed chances. And it's more about the style of play. You know, we said this when Willian signed. It's more about making that ball stick. It's been that pivot. Fabio Silva wasn't doing that. Patrick Cotroni wasn't doing that, uh, albeit with the limited kind of time he got off the bench. Um, I'm not surprised to see Cotroni go. I, I just don't think he's Nuno's type of player. And uh, it's not something that's ever looked like a natural fit to me. Um, when he signed back in 2000 and whatever it was, sorry, it's been a long day, um, they were playing two up front and that's when they kind of saw a place for him. But ever since then, it's just not been a fit. So I'm not surprised that he's gone at all. Um, but I, I, I just I just, I just finally say on the window, I think Nuno's happy with, with what they've done. I genuinely do. If he was just towing the party line uh, he's doing it very convincingly because I, I don't detect any kind of frustration from him that no that no further additions were made and we must stress hardly anyone's done permanent business this window because it's been such a, a tricky window to bring players in yeah just as we speak on tuesday night crystal palace have just beaten newcastle which means that newcastle stay four points below wolves but palace have gone um well they're three points clear um, of Wolves having all that three points tonight. So Wolves in 14th. They're now 12 points above the relegation zone, though Fulham have two games in hand. It was looking a little bit worrying there for a while, wasn't it? Especially with those extra games in hand that Fulham had and the downward trajectory. But you just hope that three points against Arsenal now has arrested that slide, even though they've got a really, really difficult game against Leicester. Then the Cup game at home against Southampton, three home games in a row, including the Cup. And then Southampton again away. And again, as we speak, I'm not sure you're even aware of this, but um, Southampton have been thumped 9-0 at Man United. What? Two red cards. You are. You haven't so that poor, the poor. No, I've literally just seen it now. Two at the second minute, sending off oh of the young God. midfielder. Bednarek went again um, in the 86th minute. How often do you get two red cards for the away side? And there's been two within the space of two hours tonight. How often do you get one manager conceding nine goals in two separate seasons? I know, and still be really highly thought of, which he is. That's but I mean, mental. I mean, people listening to this will be like, yeah, old news. But to us, we've just seen that. We're like, what? Well, yeah, and just to say, yeah, so yeah, Wolves three points behind Southampton. And I know, yeah, Southampton have played one game fewer. But the season that Southampton are having and the season that Wolves are having, you would not yes. expect a three-point gap between the teams. <laughs> and you know, you know, like a little bit of... Um, 
of completely biased positivity on this podcast. Wolves are seven points from Europe here, Bab. So let's give it a go. <laughs> Oh my god, that's a really good point. I haven't looked up for a little while. I haven't really looked. I've, at all I've for a started while. tonight. Yeah, Spurs have got games in hand, but you know, so I'll do it. let's uh, let's go for it. <laughs> Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with twenty four seven US based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard it right. You can talk to a real human in customer service any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask me. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep. You heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Did you like your um, your graphic that Ben Mortimer very kindly mocked up for <laughs> yeah, you for our last yeah, podcast yeah. of your half-term report? Yeah, he's a, he's a bit special, isn't he, Ben? That was, uh, yeah, <laughs> amazing work. And uh, thank you, uh, fellow podcast hosts, for, for sorting that out. Yes, and uh, thanks for the feedback on the last pod, by the way. Um, the quiz, oh my gosh, we had so much fun doing the first. We were the guinea pigs, weren't we, for the athletics first big football quiz? Uh, and, yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah, so they're all doing them. And um, thanks to all the Wolves fans all had to be subscribers to The Athletic to, to join. But thanks to everybody who did. And the winner was Paul Mansell, who's a regular tweeter to us. But that was quite hard. You came up with 40 very good questions, but a lot of them were very, very difficult. It was multiple choice between three, but it was a case of, you know, having to choose which of the strikers had scored one more goal than the other in a game 15 years ago or a, a season 15 years ago. It's very, very hard. So well done, Paul Mansell, who's a clever bloke at the best of times. Gully pipped at the last, but he's still going to get a prize from The Athletic because they're very nice people. But um, it was all in aid of Prostate Cancer UK, so thanks to everybody who was involved with that. And uh, did you enjoy it? It was. It, I, th- I thought it was great fun. I mean, it was a, it was an unbelievable finish. Um, just to kind of briefly sum up, musings from Molyneux, who a lot of people will know on Twitter, was um, yeah was was ahead in three out of the four rounds because we had the leaderboard rolling leaderboard all the way through, and then somehow he choked at the end as he compared it on Twitter to the uh, to the Wolves choke of two thousand and two, uh, the season that we don't like talking about. Um, no, it was great fun. Thanks so much for everyone who joined. I'm surprised you remember the end because you you had two bottles of wine. You're absolutely hammered. I had not, but, you um, monkey. <laughs> no, I'd had two glasses, fun. but I felt like I'd had two bottles because we'd both done dry January. You fell off and the chair towards the end. I, I didn't want to tell anyone on Zoom. <laughs> not. <but> yeah. <laughs> oh, I, no. It was this disgusting Portuguese wine. Sorry, Nuno, if you're listening and I've offended you about your Portuguese wine. but um, Or any of the other 16 players that he blooded. We learned that in your quiz. 16 players. We also discovered that, well, I didn't know that Semedo has more Instagram followers than Raul Jimenez. He's got, what, three million or something insane? Three million Barcelona fans follow him on Instagram and and Jimenez has got 2.3 million Instagram followers, I think. So if you've got anything to flog, just ask Semedo to uh, stick it on his Instagram. (laughs) So the fact that your uh, your red wine was disgusting really slowed you down as well. You were you 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 were barely touching it, weren't you? 
<laughs> Honestly, it was, it was horrible, but I, I, I still downed it, didn't I? It was very, very, <laughs> yes, you did. very unclassy. I, and I did as well, to be fair. Well, I enjoyed, enjoyed breaking uh, dry jan in, in style. We did. I'll just choose some nicer wine last time. I've asked Jamie to do it, my husband, to do a little bit better on the, uh, the wine purchasing front. Anyway, I can't believe we've got this far without mentioning Nuno's donation. I mean, I realise it's a few days old, which is why we haven't started the podcast with it. But when I was rung up the other day by Will Clues from the Wolves Foundation to explain to me what they're announcing that evening. I was like, okay, what's what's this new project you're announcing? I'm the Wolves Ambassador, Wolves Foundation Ambassador, so always keen to hear the news and what they're doing in the community. And after a few minutes of chat, he mentioned that Nuno, the manager, had donated a quarter of a million pounds from his own pocket, hadn't been asked to by the club. It was he who coming back from the first lockdown had really been moved to try to do some, something for the people of Wolverhampton, bearing in mind the, the huge effect that the pandemic had had on him personally, being away from his family, coming back, seeing the poverty, which is so desperately sad to read about 29% of children living in poverty in Wolverhampton. It's absolutely frightening, well below the national average. And he wanted to personally do something about it himself. So this isn't a recent thing. It's nothing to do with results, as I saw somebody very cynically say. It, it was something that very much came from the heart. And it's part of the Feed Our Pack charity campaign that the Walls Foundation uh, is running to try to help the people in the local community. I mean, what was your reaction, Tim? Um, well, one, not surprised. I mean, I'd heard, I'd heard a while back... I think it might have been May last year, certainly sort of towards the end of the first lockdown, that, yeah, he was really looking to do something, but not just not just donate money to something. He, what, what he wanted to do was sort of make a tangible difference and do something or contribute towards something that's really going to impact on people's lives in Wolverhampton. And I think that's why it's, you know, taken a few months to put together in terms of this, like you say, Feed Our Pack initiative. And we should say that, is it the Premier League Community Fund, which has matched Nuno's funding to make half a million pounds? Which is just, it's just going to make, it's going to make such a huge difference. And, you know, you see idiots kind of say, oh, he can afford it, you know, um, well, I don't see I don't see them donating, you know, the same sort of proportion of their of their wages towards this, and I don't see any other Premier League managers doing it. And that's not criticism. I'm just kind of saying I will take absolutely nothing away from from what he's done. I think it's astonishing, and it's a wonderful, wonderful gesture. And I use that word gesture lightly because it's so much more than that, of course. Yeah, it's, it's not the first donation he's made. I think him. And George Mendes and Cristiano Ronaldo uh, donated a sizable amount to a Portuguese hospital um, for urgently needed equipment. I think that was during the first lockdown. You know, the players and staff contributed £100,000 towards Newcross Hospital, or more specifically, the Royal Wolverhampton Trust, um, last year as well. So it's fantastic. And... Um, it, it it doesn't it doesn't mean he won't leave ever. It doesn't mean he you know purely pie in the sky. It doesn't mean he won't leave in the summer, for example. It just means that he that he cares. He obviously cares, and it's such a generous thing for him to do. And it really comes from the heart. And if you saw any of the interviews that he did, he did one with Johnny Phillips, which is great. I'd urge people to watch it on on YouTube. Um, it's really affected him. This pandemic um, is something I've written about before. It's weighed really heavily on his shoulders, and he's wanted to do something. To help, and he and he misses the fans. It's not just in the stadium. 
he misses them in the street. He misses them in the shop. He misses he misses interacting with them. He misses hearing from them, and um, and this is his part of kind of giving something back to the city, which has which has given him so much. And of course, he's already given them quite a lot as well. So yeah, absolutely wonderful. Nuno said, Wolves fans and the people of Wolverhampton have been fantastic to me since I arrived here almost four years ago and I wanted to give something back and help the people who are struggling during the pandemic. When you live in a city, you see and hear how people have been affected, but it's also a great city where people help and support each other. And this is a really important project from the Wolves Foundation. Together we are stronger. Talks about helping each other in the community. And when I was speaking to Will Clues of the foundation, he was telling me about some of the individual stories. And I was saying, you know, how how can it be that 29% of these children are living in poverty? How is this happening? And it was clear from knowing individual families that you can see that people are having to take it in turns, parents taking it in turns to feed themselves so the children can eat that night and just awful individual stories of maybe single parents, mum having to work full time so the little kids having to let themselves in and eat what's in the cupboard and just lots of stories of hardship and it was absolutely heartbreaking to hear that this is going on in our city so the work the walls foundation is doing is absolutely wonderful and they're really keen by the way for walls fans to raise hopefully fifty thousand pounds so if you go on the wolves website and click on foundation um, which is there under the club banner and you can actually donate or buy a virtual ticket for the wolves liverpool game in march the molyneux game um spend £20 on a virtual ticket and that will go towards the £50,000 and there's also a way you can donate standing order monthly, direct debit and uh, or you can just go online and, and just um, donate to the Just Giving page. So they've raised around £17,000 towards the £50,000 target so I'll certainly be donating myself and uh, it'd be great if we could all give even if it's just a few quid but it all adds up and it just means that we're all coming together for such an important cause I mean you can't get anything more basic than people eating um, and children being able to eat especially at the moment that they're not at school. Yeah I think the the pandemic's affected every every town and city and area in the country but it's particularly impact on areas that were already deprived and you know areas of high unemployment and poverty as you say so it's um it's really important you know not to forget to look close to home for, for the for the problems that everybody's kind of feeling at the moment so um Nuno's gesture or donation has has, has, has shined a light on that and it's really really important work so yeah we, we can't commend him highly enough it, it's something that be that will be remembered for a long time Yes, and I saw him speaking in his a Zoom press conference pre uh, the Arsenal game, and he spoke so much from the heart, and it was um, it was fantastic to hear a Wolves manager speaking in such heartfelt tones about what the community of Wolverhampton means to him. And he, as you said, Tim, he is desperate to see the fans again, and he says they're aware of what's going on outside their bubble, but they're just desperate to see the fans again. And how the South Bank would have acclaimed that Joao Matinho strike, by the way, against Arsenal. So. Let's hang in there. Let's hang in there together. And it won't be too much longer, hopefully. Thank you so much, Tim. Cheers, Bab. It's been nice, hasn't it, to talk through three points, however they came, however many red cards there were. Wonderful goal from Matinho, wonderful penalty from Neves, and well done, Ruben Neves, for um, for sticking to the day job 
and hopefully it won't be too much longer until he's allowed to see his baby and his wife. If you would like to subscribe to The Athletic, I strongly recommend that you do so you can read all of Tim's in-depth articles. It is just £3.99 a month for the next six months. That's just a pound a week. Go to theathletic.co.uk forward slash Wolves pod and that is where you'll get your discount. We'll be with you next week after who knows what will have happened in the game against Leicester but we'll be with you in your podcast inbox on Tuesday morning. Bye for now. The Athletic As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10. Place your first bet on any game and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager.